If you have your Bibles, could you open to Ephesians chapter 1? And while you're turning there, I do want to remind you uh, to be taking notes. We've tried to make these available to you. We have them for sale at the Connect Center um, for $3. We'd love for you to, if you don't feel comfortable marking up your Bible, take one of these. Or if you need a little bit more room, you can grab one of these. We're going to walk you through our passage, and that'll give you some um, stuff to talk about in your small group, some thoughts you had, some questions you have. We're going to kind of mark up our Bibles today. So if you have a pen or a notebook or a journal, we'd love to kind of walk you through some of those things as we open God's Word today. So today, we're continuing a series called Union with Christ, which is a series through the book of Ephesians, which is unpacking this theology that Paul teaches us in Ephesians on union with Christ. And what we've been look, looking at is this simple phrase throughout the book, that, which is in Christ. So whenever Paul uses this phrase, he's doing it intentionally to teach us how Christianity works and about how union and communion with God is restored through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So a before go week, about a month ago, we looked at Ephesians chapter one, verses one and two, which is a personal letter that Paul writes to a church and he, he welcomes them and he reminds them of the gospel, which is grace and peace to you from God our Father. That's a summation of the gospel. And then he starts this theology in verse one when he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. And that's the first mention of this phrase, in Christ. And from there on, he's going to use that phrase over and over again and teach us the theology of union with Christ. That union and communion with God only comes through the avenue of Jesus Christ. So today our passage is verses 3 through 6 of chapter 1. And again, I want you to use your eyeballs and look for that phrase, in Christ. In verses 3 through 6, it's mentioned several times. And the one we're primarily going to focus on in this sermon today is blessed blessed in Christ. So keep your eye out for those references as we read it. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 6 reads this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the praise of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Before we dive into our text today, I want you to think of a time in your life where you were just radically, ridiculously blessed. Has anybody ever shown you just tremendous love and affection and grace by pouring out gifts or blessings upon you? I'm sure there's been several in my life, but two that came to mind as I was prepping for today was one, my graduation party. Do you remember your graduation party if you're older than 18? Go back to that day for just a second. My mom made sloppy joes and had a bunch of friends and family over to celebrate my graduation. Now, I wasn't the most observant kid, so I had an older brother and sister, and they had graduation parties. But for some reason, I was completely blown away the moment that last person left and I got to open up all the gifts and the envelopes. I was blown away by the gifts that were inside of these. 
My friends, family members, friends of my parents were all just gracious and, and lavished gifts and blessings on me. And as I opened envelope after envelope, just like, what? This is crazy. People are so kind. I was completely blown away by people's generosity. Did you have that experience? I should have known it was coming, but I didn't. So I was just so in awe by that. The second one was my, at, after the wedding, you have a reception, right? And everybody that comes to the wedding brings a gift to the reception. And there's a big table there with a box and you put cards and gifts and all those things. And so at the reception, you're just partying and having a good time, eating cake, doing all that kind of stuff. And then right after the reception, you don't get to open the gifts. You go to the honeymoon, right? And you go away for a while and then you come back and you're like, all of the gifts. Oh my goodness, this is crazy. I'm not going to tell you this story, but after our honeymoon, we came back. We didn't have anywhere to live. So we lived in a pop-up camper in my aunt's driveway. I mean, my wife married a catch. <laughs> I provide for her. So that was, there's a story there. But anyways, so you know what a pop-up camper is. It's not a lot of room, right? So we go to my mother-in-law's house where she had all the gifts and all the cards. And we're there opening the gifts and the cards. And I'm just like, I'm the baby of the family, but I'm the first married. So I had no exposure to all these gifts from my siblings. And so we're just opening the gifts like, oh my goodness, a blender. Where's a blender going to go in the pop-up camper, you know? Where's a, a microwave? That's not going to fit in the pop-up camper. Anyways, we're just opening all these gifts. I mean, I'm just blown away. Like, who are these people? You're opening the card. Like, I've never even heard of them. That's incredible. These people are so kind and generous and just... And literally, those gifts helped us survive for about a year. You guys maybe remember that. Just fed us and met our needs. Just so grateful for those people blessing us. That's a really good illustration for what Paul is describing in Ephesians chapter 1. A loving God who ridiculously blesses his children. Paul, after he writes the introduction, verses 1 and 2 of Ephesians chapter 1, jumps into verse 3, instantly starting off with the words, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, telling you how amazing God is. Paul does not want us to miss how amazing and incredible God is. He states, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he uses that same word blessed to describe what God has done for us. He says, God is blessed and God has blessed us. So right in the verse three, the opening part of the letter, Paul teaches us two amazing things, that God is incredible and God has incredibly blessed us by using the word blessed in two different ways in the same verse. One to describe God and one to describe his action towards us. The two mentions of the word blessed in verse 3 teach us God's divine title and God's divine action. And that was completely intentional. Paul wanted you to know God is blessed and he graciously blesses. So today, for the remainder of our time, we want to look at what God has done for us and who he is. But before we dive in, I do want you to look at verse 3 closely. Because verse 3 is really interesting. He, Paul describes this blessing that we receive as Trinitarian. Notice that he mentions all three persons of the Trinity in verse 3. 
At the beginning of verse three, he mentions that this blessing is from God the Father. It says, who has blessed us? The Father has blessed us. So this blessing comes from the Father. It is through the Son, Jesus, when it says in Christ, has blessed us in Christ, the blessing comes through the Son. And then it says at the end of verse three, um, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. The Spirit's not implicitly, um, his name's not specifically mentioned, but it's implicitly uh, mentioned. He, he doesn't want you to miss that where this blessing is from, it is with the Spirit. Just like you would describe spiritual gifts sometimes as gifts from the Spirit, so I with confidence can say that we could translate verse 3 as also saying that these blessings are from the Spirit. So Paul in one verse wants us to see that this is God's blessing towards us is the Trinity working in beautiful unity, pouring out his love and affection towards us. It is from the Father, through the Son, and with the Spirit. This is the blessing that we're going to look at today. The Trinity working in complete unity for God's glory and for our good. Don't miss that. We're going to come back to that in later weeks, how this is a Trinitarian blessing. But please don't miss the beauty of Paul describing this. Today, for the remainder of our time, we want to describe this blessing, this blessing that God pours out on us. And we're going to talk about how we are blessed and why we are blessed in Christ. So I'm going to literally just walk you through verses 3 and verses six, and then the next two weeks, we're going to look at verses four and five. So dive in with me as we look at blessed in Christ from Ephesians chapter one, verses three through six. So I'm going to walk you through this text. I'm going to show you primarily seven things. So I'm going to throw the outline up on the screen behind me real quick to show you what I think verses three through six teach us. And then we're going to kind of dissect it a little bit and look at each one specifically. So let's look at the first thing that Paul teaches us about this blessing. Number one, the source of the blessing is God the Father. He says at the beginning of verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. The blessing we're describing, we're looking at today, comes from the Father. This is who he is. I love, I typically read from the ESV, but as I was studying this week, I fell in love with the CSB a little bit, if any of you have that in your laps, where it reads this way, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I just think it's a little bit clearer of what Paul's intention is. Paul is telling us in verse three that God is blessed. Verse three is not a command to bless God, but rather that he is blessed. God is already worthy of all blessing. God does not need to be blessed by you in order for it to be true. It's stating a fact. God is blessed. We don't give our blessing to God, but instead we recognize his blessedness. What we just did in the last few moments was we sang to God. We blessed him. We did not give God something he did not already have. We were recognizing what is true of him. And then we just merely bless God because he is worthy of it. So when you bless God, you give him what he is due, what he already is, what is already true of him. 
You guys, I'm, I am so grateful that God doesn't have to be voted in as supreme ruler of the universe by the people because I'm not sure he'd get in. Aren't you? He is God. He is the supreme ruler of the universe. He rules and reigns over all creation. Our praise of him is merely recognition of what is already true of him. We don't give him something he wants. He wants to attain to. We recognize what's already true. God is sovereign over all, ruling and reigning over every single event of this creation. And that is such good news. And don't miss this. God is the only one worthy of being blessed. He's the only one that deserves our blessing. The first commandment teaches us this, that we should have no other gods before me. Literally, bless no one else is the first commandment. No one or nothing is worthy of our blessing except for God. He's the one that deserves our full love and affections. See, all the time though, isn't this true of you? It's true of me. All the time I bless things that have no right to be blessed at the expense of neglecting the one who deserves my blessing. All week long, I focus on things, I worship things, I devote time and energy and, and attention to things that aren't worthy of it at the expense of focusing and blessing the one who is worthy of it. I think one of the greatest problems in the world today is a too small view of God. We don't see God as worthy of all worship and blessing. And because we have too small of a view of God, we give a too large of a view to everything else. We think everything else is vastly important and super interesting and worthy of our time, interest, and affections, and it's not. The world needs a bigger view of God to help put everything else in perspective, to help us see the world rightly. I have a simple illustration for you today. Um, this picture is God. And I went to Goodwill and I bought the largest picture they had to kind of put things into perspective. And what I want to do today, what I think Paul is doing for us today, is Paul wants us to see as God is bigger than you currently see him. God is more blessed than you currently understand. He's trying to broaden our perspective on who God is. Because the bigger God is, the more amazing the water represents his blessings. The more amazing his blessings will look. And if we have a right view of God, a bigger view of God, then God and his blessings will be more radical than they currently are in your mind. And you will give more attention and focus and worship to God than to everything else. This little guy is us. I tried to put him in perspective so you could kind of see how little we are compared to how great God is. Um, so what we're going to use is this illustration to help us see how great God is, how amazing God is, and how amazing his blessings are. So the first thing our text teaches us is the source of the blessing. The second thing our text teaches us is the recipient of the blessing. This is our little army man. Look at verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. The recipient of the blessing is us. It's our little guy here. 
Now imagine for a second, if you have this huge view of God, the, the supreme ruler of the universe, the sovereign Lord of all things, imagine you have this amazing view of God. God's incredible and he's full of blessings. His blessings are enormous and vast and unmeasurable blessings. Now imagine that this God loved you. What would that look like? And imagine that this God wanted to show his love towards you and pour his love out upon you. Can you imagine that for a second? Imagine that this God loved you and he wanted to show that to you by pouring his love out upon you and blessing you. Wouldn't that be incredible? Forget a grad party or a wedding gift. Imagine if God, the richest person ever, right? The one who owns all things wanted to lavish you as verse eight in Ephesians one says, lavish you with his grace and with his mercy. What do you think that would look like? How would you describe what it looks like to have that God, this huge God with all the blessings, pour his love out upon you? It would be amazing, wouldn't it? And be incredible. And that is what the rest of Ephesians tells us. Ephesians 1 through 3 primarily is a list of the blessings. It describes the water. It shows us how amazing God's blessings are, all the things he does for us. Every time you see that phrase, in Christ, shows you another blessing. He's chosen you. He's predestined you. The whole list is going to come in the next several weeks of the amazing things God has done for us. And see, the amazing thing is about God is that God is able to bless without losing So as he pours out his blessing on us, the pitcher never gets less full. Sadly, I only get to use the illustration one time because the pitcher will be empty. But you get the point. God continues to bless his children, pour out his blessing, and it never loses. He never loses what he gives out. The third thing our text teaches us is not only the source, not only the recipients, but the arena, the arena of the blessing. Again, look at verse 3 who has blessed us where? What's the arena? In Christ. Our bold thing this morning is going to be Christ, the arena of the blessing. This is something we talked about when we started our series, about the importance of the doctrine of union with Christ, that receiving blessings from the Father only comes by being in Christ. So we put the army man inside of Christ, because that's where the blessings come. These aren't blessings. Ephesians 1 through 3 is not blessings that all mankind experience. The blessings described in the following chapters are only for a specific group of people, those who are in Christ. These blessings are not for those who are outside of Christ. The outside world has to look inside and be jealous. Man, they've got it so good. I wish I could be in. What we're describing is for those who are in in Christ. These aren't blessings you earn. God doesn't bless us when we graduate from high school or get married. In God's world, we don't merit blessing. We're gifted blessing. What you do doesn't get you blessing, but instead, what gets you blessing is who you're in, who you trust in, who you believe in, who you have aligned yourself with. You see, your location is everything. Outside of Christ, no blessings. Inside of Christ, blessings. 
There are blessings that all mankind receives, right? We call that common grace. The common grace would be things like rain. It rains on everyone. Sunshine, a 72-degree Sunday in November, right? Like all Ankeny people get to experience a 72-degree Sunday in November. A great cup of coffee. Anybody can enjoy a great cup of coffee. We call that common grace. But what is not, uh, but that's not what the book of Ephesians is talking about. The book of Ephesians is talking about blessings described only for those who are in Christ. But the fourth thing our text teaches us is not only the arena, but the measure. The measure of the blessing. Continue to look at the phrase, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Christ has blessed us, God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. What does every mean? It means each, all, not withholding any back. Look at Ephesians 1.8. He uses the word lavished. Jesus, God, through Jesus, lavishes his love on us lavishes his blessings on it. He pours it out endlessly, continually, to the point where you get nervous that it's going to overflow like it did in the second service. He continues to pour his love out on us endlessly to the point where we're like, whoa, that's a lot. That's a lot of blessings. What I received at my wedding reception was nothing compared to the blessings that God pours out on his children, all, every spiritual blessing, endlessly, he lavishes love upon us. But the key thing we have to understand is the word spiritual. These are spiritual blessings that he drowns his children in with love. They're spiritual blessings from the Spirit, describing the gifts of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit that he pours out upon his children. Many people, I think, are disappointed with God because they look at their lives and it doesn't feel like this. They don't see all these tangible, physical blessings that they expected. They don't have all the stuff they thought that God would give them, and so they're a little frustrated with God. They aren't seeing the spiritual blessings that have been poured out upon them. Actually, they're neglecting the spiritual blessings that have been poured out upon him. So they say things like this. How could a loving God allow my business to fail? How could God allow my health to fail? Why would a loving God allow relationship turmoil in my life? God, you must not love me. God, you must be so small that there's no blessings in there. You must not have much to pour out on me, God. You must, you're disappointing me, God. I'm sad. I'm disappointed with what you have to offer. I have nothing to do with you, God, because you can't overflow my cup. My cup's not overflowing like I thought it would. But what they're missing is the idea of these are spiritual blessings. I love what a friend of mine says every time he gets asked, hey, how you doing? Every time he gets asked that question, he says, better than I deserve. Is there a better answer to that question? because he understands his blessing. He doesn't instantly look at the physical world around him, the, the physical circumstances around him. He knows he's drowning in the blessings of God. How are you doing today? Man, better than I deserve. Let's not even talk about the circumstances. Man, God is just, 
continually pouring his blessings out on me. I don't deserve any of it. We should all say that more often. And then let's be reminded about Paul. Let's use Paul as an example of somebody who understands this. A couple weeks ago, Todd taught us that there's four books of the Bible that are called prison epistles. Ephesians is one of them. So Paul, who is writing this book about the greatness of God, the immeasurable riches of God, the great blessings of God that God loves to pour out on his children, is sitting in a prison cell, possibly shackled to a guard or another prisoner. And he's in there writing about the goodness and mercy of God, about God's lavishing mercy and kindness and grace, lavishing goodness on Paul. How can Paul say that? Because he sees what so few people see, the immeasurable greatness and mercy of God being poured out on his life. So why isn't Paul moping in prison? Because he knows how blessed he is. He sees the world completely different from anyone else. This story should sound familiar. Turn to Acts chapter 16 for a second. Acts chapter 16, I'm going to start with verse 22. And this is Paul and Silas. And Paul and Silas are preaching the gospel and they won't shut up, right? They're just telling everybody they come in contact with about the greatness of God, the mercy of God, and the gospel. And they're told, stop, or there's going to be ramifications. This is, Paul and Silas, what do they do? And they keep preaching. Paul, uh, Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 22. Let me read it for you. It says this, the crowd joined in attacking them. Doesn't sound like a great day. And the magistrate tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Hey, Paul, how's your day going? Better than I deserve. Verse 23, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet into the stocks. Paul, how's your day going? Better than I deserve. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced. That's the key word. He rejoiced with his entire household that he had believed in God. Incredible story. Paul and Silas weren't singing because the prison doors had already opened. They were singing while the prison doors were locked shut. They're shackled, 
they're in prison, they're beaten, they're bloody, and they're singing. Beaten and shackled, they sang. Why? Because they knew they were blessed immeasurably. All Paul and Silas could see was blessings. God, you're so good to us. You're so faithful to us. You constantly carry us. You constantly take care of us. You see, Paul and Silas, they knew that their spiritual location was greater than their physical location. They knew the blessings they had spiritually outweighed any physical discomfort. Did you catch that? What they have in Christ was of greater value than any physical discomfort. Church, I pray that that could be said of us. That no matter what happens in this world, in this year, we would say, we're blessed. God is so good. He's got us. He takes care of us. He lavishes his love upon us. He cares for us so much. Instead of us moping and complaining about circumstances, do we sing? Do we pray? Do we praise God for who he is? You see, church, how you and I respond during suffering says a lot about what we think about God. How big is God? If we mope and complain during suffering, we probably have a Dixie-sized cup view of God and his blessings are minuscule. You don't understand God. But if we're able to sing in prison, we probably have a pretty good-sized view of God. You see, the peace and joy that Paul and Silas had was so attractive to the jailer, the guy on the outside with the better life circumstances, he looked on the inside and said, I want in. I want what you guys got. I've got no shackles. I'm not in jail. My life's going pretty well, but I want in. What do you guys got? How can I be saved? So the guys on the inside got to say to the guy on the outside, believe in the Lord Jesus. Come on in. The water's fine. Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. You see, what is attractive to the outside world is not how nice and easy our lives are, but rather the peace and joy we have when things are terrible. It's the singing we do while we're burning at the stakes that's attractive to the unsaved world. That's the thing they don't have and can't buy. Peace and joy. Church, I'm grateful for 2020. 2020 has given the church a great opportunity to sing loudly. We're not in prison. We're better off than we deserve. Life's hard. Can I hear your loud voices? Are you singing? Is the outside world confused by how odd prisoners we are? Man, they're not sad. They just keep rejoicing. The world's falling apart and they're happy. I don't understand. You can't get these guys down. That's right because we see what the world can't see, the immeasurable blessings that God pours out on us. The next thing our te text teaches us is the location of the blessings. Look at verse three. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
What does that mean? I think it means a couple things, but let me kind of paint a picture for you. In the heavenly places, that's where God lives. So it's just describing all the blessings as his. They're his blessings at his disposal. He gets to pour them out whenever he wants as he sees fit. I think it also kind of describes the idea um, of a storehouse. Like imagine this huge storehouse of blessing that's completely filled. They're in the heavenlies. Like the heavens are the blessings of God. All of them are at his disposal. Because they're in the heavenlies, these blessings won't rot. They won't rust. They won't depreciate. They aren't affected by the economy or the stock market. Isn't that good news? Nothing can happen to God's blessings. They're endless, they're priceless, they're eternal, and they're ours. And he constantly pours them out on us, his children. And then number six, what does our text teach us? Look at verse six. Let's hop to verse six for a second. What is the purpose of the blessing? Verse six tells us why. Why does God constantly pour blessings upon his children? Verse six, to the praise of his glorious grace. Why does he bless us? To bring him more praise. More blessing to the blessed God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He does this so that more will praise him. So more people on the outside will want in and will rejoice just like the Philippian jailer did after he came to faith. Not necessarily, he doesn't do this necessarily to make your life better or easier. No, he actually might make your life harder so that he receives more praise. You see, God blesses us so that we will in return bless him and others will turn to him and bless him. And then lastly, the seventh thing we're supposed to learn is a reprise. It's a repetition. It's a repeating something he said earlier, which brings us back to union with Christ. The recipient of the blessing, those who are in the beloved. I love that wording. He ends verse six with a reprise of what he said all earlier is who gets in, who gets all the blessings? Those who are in, and he describes Christ, not just as Christ this time, but as the beloved. God's, the Father's beloved. He loves Jesus. God loves Jesus. Who is the beloved? Jesus Christ. You see, we are loved, but Christ is the Father's beloved. He cherishes Jesus. He loves Jesus. And you know why? Because who is really worthy of all the blessings? Is it me and you? We have a really good week? No, it's Jesus. Jesus is the one who's really worthy of this. Philippians chapter two tells us that he loves his son because of what his son did. He's worthy of it. Every knee will bow at the, at, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the beloved. He's the one that deserves the bath, the shower, not you and I. Who is the one worthy of it? Jesus. But, but we want blessings, right? So how do we get blessed? By being in Christ. By, by believing in Jesus, by trusting Jesus, by being in the splash zone. So as God the Father pours his blessings out on Jesus, we're recipients of those blessings. You want to be in Christ. 
So church, as we summarize our lesson tonight, this morning of what we looked at, I want you to see that those who are in Christ, this little army man, we see the world and God and blessings so vastly different than those outside of Christ. Those outside of Christ are frustrated with this world, and rightly so. Those inside, the, uh, inside of Christ see the world completely different and are able to say, better than I deserve. God is so good. He's never let go of me. Many people see a small God who has poor blessings, and therefore, I don't need Jesus. What can Jesus get me? Nothing. God's small. His blessings are, are poor. Why would I want Jesus? But for those of us who understand the greatness of God, the blessings of God, and how we only get to God through the person and work of Jesus Christ, we give our affections and attention to Jesus. And this helps us see God for who he really is and reminds us that the spiritual blessings we have vastly outweigh our physical possessions or circumstances. Church, how you doing? How, how you thriving in 2020? Are you able to sing in your prison cell? Are you able to rejoice? Are you pointing others towards the goodness of God even during a difficult year? If yes, it's probably because you have a very big view of God. If no, throw away your little Dixie cup and get a way bigger view of God and all of his blessings. And maybe stop looking at the physical circumstances as the blessings of God. Today, my hope and prayer is that everyone in this auditorium is in. But if you're not in, if, on, if you're on the outside looking in and like the Philippian jailer say, I want in, what do we do? And you cry out, sirs, what must I do to be saved? The answer is still true 2,000 years later. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It's that simple. You can't earn it. You can't merit it. You must simply believe and all the blessings are yours. That's union with Christ. And it's incredible. Are you in? Do you see Jesus as beautiful and wonderful because of what he's done to unite you to the Father? We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.